You're listening to the Stir Crazy Month limited series as part of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This first annual month-long event through the month of February focuses on the key short-term rental business pillars of safety, sustainability, trust, insurance, and regulations. This event could not happen without the support of our sponsors, and we need to give a special thank you to Proper Insurance for putting their full support behind this online event. Proper Insurance know that short-term vacation rentals don't fit into one insurance category, so Proper developed a speciality insurance policy that covers both commercial and personal use for your vacation rental. The question is, are you covered? Contact Proper Insurance today to get your questions answered. Click the link in the description of this episode to connect with the team at Proper for a no-obligation chat. Let's get to the good stuff. Here is the ringmaster behind Stir Crazy Month and your host, Heather Bayer. If you've ever had the experience of opening your front door to a process server and accepting that brown envelope, you'll understand the importance of having the best liability insurance. This is just one of the topics we're covering in this episode with Nick Massey of Proper Insurance. Listening to this could save you months of stress and thousands of maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, I'm super delighted to be back with you once again from not-so-sunny Gulf Shores. I'm sure the sun will come out. It, it, It has at least warmed up and it's not freezing anymore and we don't have to use a heated water line to bring water into the RV, which is a thing, you know. A lot of people around here are having to unhook their water lines because it's freezing at night and you have to have, you know, either fill the water tank, which we tend not to do, or have big jugs of water sitting around for use during the night, if you know what I mean. But anyway, it is now warming up, still overcast, it's raining, but heck, you know, I look at my driveway at home and that is pretty disgusting. It's got way, way too much snow in it. And we have a great ploughman who comes by after every round of snow to clear the car park. The reason of the car park, the driveway, the reason being is that I still have people going into the house, you know, Mike goes up with the family and my cleaner goes in while I'm away for the winter and she does a sort of spring clean, but she does it in the winter. So, I want to make sure that it is safe for her to do so. It is safe for her to take her car down my driveway to park it and it is safe for her to walk from her car into my house. I don't want to be sued. I don't want any liability claims made because she gets out of the car and slips, falls, hurts herself or whatever and has me to blame. I don't think she would ever do that. But, you know, you've got to stay on the right side of everybody and you must not be negligent. And this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about insurance. We're talking about liability. We're talking about negligence. And I just want to tell you a bit of a story before we get started. So it was a sunny afternoon in the late spring a few years ago, and we just spent a really busy day on reservations and meetings to discuss the upcoming season. And we were about to relax on the deck with a cold drink and life was good. But little did we know that a single knock on the door could change everything. That could have been the scenario that ensued when that process server handed me the document that laid out the claim from a guest who'd stayed in one of our properties nearly two years previously. And I remembered the event. We'd had a five-star review from the guest saying that they'd had a really wonderful time at the place, although her mom had fallen and hurt her knee and she'd been treated for it when they got home. The reason I remember it was because usually when somebody's doing a review, if something happens like that and it's, yeah, there's some, something happens that spoils their vacation, they're not going to give you the five-star review. But anyway, we got the five-star review. Um, I hadn't really thought about it at the time. We just thanked her for the review and extended some sympathy to her mom. 
Because we got no explanation of how her mum had injured herself and we just didn't ask. So getting the outline of the claim that cited the owner, the property manager, which was us, of course, and the maintenance company stating it was negligence on our part and making a claim for a million dollars was a huge shock. And that was the start of two years of document submissions, depositions, and then finally a settlement of the claim, which we never found out what it was because it had taken out of our hands. Because that knock on the door did change the good day we were having. But from there on, we were in the hands of our insurance company and their lawyers. But it could have been so much worse. It didn't cost us anything except for some time. It felt a little stressful as it would be for anyone who sued. But if it ever became worrisome, our contact at the insurance company was always there for reassurance. Of course, it did help that the claimants weren't able to prove that any of us had been negligent as we were strong on safety procedures and certainly for onboarding a new property and the maintenance of it, we were right on point. But it would have been a nightmare if we hadn't had really good liability insurance. So here to talk about this and so much more is Nick Massey of Proper Insurance and you need to listen to this. So without further ado, let's go on over to the interview. Okay, well, I'm really pleased to have with me today Nick Massey from Proper Insurance. He's the Director of Sales, and we're going to talk about everything insurance on this episode. And so I'm super happy to have you here, Nick. I did say that when we were, we were talking before we started recording, and I said, I get really excited about insurance, and I think people must think I'm nuts. But, you know, I, I, I've told my story in the introduction, so it's not just being excited about it, it's being motivated to do something about it. So I'm glad to have you here to talk about all these things. It's a pleasure for you to have us on. I know it's been a long time since Proper's been on the podcast, so we're excited to be back to shed some light. Things have changed a lot over the last decade when it comes to insurance. And if I were to kind of do my own intro into what I kind of want this to translate into, we're going to have a great conversation. But there's so much going on out there with insurance for vacation rentals from the property manager. What do I need to do? What do my homeowners need to do? There's the OTA coverages. There's supplemental insurance and liability. There's travel insurance. What does this all mean? It's like a big tornado of insurance jargon just spinning around all of us nonstop. And let's break this down. Let's put it into categories. So after you get done listening to this show, when something happens, I want you to think about what category does this fall under, right? Because none of these things are going to really overlap too much with each other. Some of them will, some of them mm-hmm. won't. They kind of work together in certain ways. But literally, there's there's four categories of insurance. And I like to call it the four pillars. And that's where we need to start categorizing where these things go to structure our risk management plan around our short-term rental operations. Okay, before we kick off, I want to sort of clear up the terms, because I know that within our conversation, we're going to be talking about different types of insurance. And there's all sorts of different terms that are used. And I I want to make sure everybody understands what these terms are before we start. So I'm thinking about things like, you know, the things that come to my mind, like what's a claims adjuster? What does liability mean? What is self-insurance, liability waiver? What are the Mm -hmm. most important things that people need to know before we head off into this conversation? Yeah. So let's build a little glossary. And two, because of certain ways I'm going to present some information here, I'm going to categorize some things in a general category. So first thing in in the conversation here is retail market. Okay. So when I'm talking retail market insurance, I am talking about your state farms, your all states, your nationwides, all of those big companies that advertise in every major sporting event, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising, and they don't really do a whole lot in the vacation rental space. So that's retail market. The other terms we're going to talk about in general are going to be property coverage. Property coverage will break down essentially into three categories for us. Your protection for the building, the physical asset, the contents or furnishings contained inside that asset, the revenue generated by that property. Those are your kind of three general categories of property coverage and then liability, okay? So property coverage is physical damage to the structure and then liability coverage 
is going to be our somebody slipped and fell, got hurt, sued me type protections. Now, liability breaks into three different categories as well. We have what's called, at least in the U.S. markets, we have personal liability, you have premises liability, and you have commercial general liability. These are for the general home terms, okay? We also wanna break down our glossary from basic, broad, and special. So insurance does break down into easy categories that are digestible. Basic form coverage is the cheapest you can buy. It has the fewest amount of protections in terms of perils, which is what's actually causing damage to the structure. Then you have broad form coverage, which is middle of the road, which also categorizes a number of perils that are damaged that will be responded to. And then you have what's called special form all risk, which is a policy that just tells you what's excluded. And if it's not listed as an exclusion, then you have protection for it. That is the best coverage. And for most of this conversation, I'm gonna be speaking to special form all risk coverages, because that is the standard that we, for the most part, all have on our homes. We are going to talk, go for it, Heather. I was gonna say, any, anything else? If not, we're gonna head off into the four pillars. Yeah, those are the basic terms, right? And we'll get into some other stuff around property managers, but for mm -hmm. the general consumer, those are things you kind of wanna know and understand what they are, especially after this conversation when you're looking at your own stuff. Okay, so you mentioned four pillars. What are they and how do they apply to us? Yeah, so the four pillars for vacation rental owners anywhere or managers, it starts with the manager's insurance package. If you are a professional property manager managing other people's property, you need to have your own insurance and that comes with a lot of different things. It could be starting with professional liability, which would also known as uh, E&O insurance or Arizona missions, commercial auto, cybersecurity, employee benefits, yada, yada. Pillar number two is the homeowner's insurance. The homeowner's insurance is one of the most important parts of this puzzle because every one of these properties that is on the market for short-term rental is owned by somebody and every single individual address needs to have its own insurance. So it's inherently important for pillar two that all of our listeners and managers are knowing and understanding that everybody's responsible for their own coverage for the property they own. Number three is damage waiver products or supplemental insurance, which are becoming increasingly common. They're really meant for the smaller damages. Okay, you can think of air cover as a supplemental coverage. You can think of the likes of companies like Safely, Superhog, uh, Wavo, as those are supplemental damage companies. And then the last pillar is travel insurance. Paid for by the guests, last minute cancellations, it's an insurable product. So you're not refunding their trip money, they're insuring against last minute cancellations. So you're not dishing out revenue against your cancellation policy. That's great. And I, I want to sort of, I mean, something that's always come to mind, you mentioned you know, the platform coverage. I think we should we should talk about that first of all, because there are those out there who are saying, well, well, you know, I've got the Airbnb host guarantee. And I've always countered with, but you have to have your own insurance that was when I was working as a property manager. And it was always a conversation that I found a little difficult because I'm not involved in the world of insurance. Um, so I think it's important to get that out of the way that the host guarantee is not the be all and end all. It's not the one thing that you, you have in place of all others. It's definitely not. And so many OTAs out there are going to have something similar, right, to the air cover product, if you will. But on Airbnb's website, it comes out and says it's not insurance and you're still responsible for your own policy. So that's why when we're talking about these pillars, right, air cover and OTA insurance does not fall into pillar number two for my home insurance. So they're not the same thing. We need to categorize these into separate realms. It falls under supplemental coverage. It is a backup plan. It is not the fall on, lean on, crutch everything that happens at my vacation rental, they'll take care of me. That is not right, okay? Like I said, these pillars do not overlap with each other. So you still need home insurance. And if you rely on air cover, great. If you fall into the realm of not trusting air cover, then look at a damage waiver product mm -hmm. that you can implement into your booking process. That's also going to assist 
with those smaller damage or supplemental liability, perhaps, if that product comes with it, uh, to fill potentially a gap between your home coverage and what needs to happen over here in pillar number three. Okay, so let's start with one of these pillars, and, and I want to start with homeowners, actually. I know when I was running a property management company, we had an obligation to insure for our own liability, really, to ensure that our homeowners carried sufficient cover on their policies for their rental activities. Because many of them would say, yes, of course, I've got I've got my homeowner's insurance and mm-hmm. it covers me for rental. Yeah. And so, so I know my sort of lay version of the answer to this, but I'm going to pass it over to you. Yeah. So disclaimer first on this part of my conversation <laughs> is um, no offense to other folks in my profession. But there is a line drawn in the sand between rental, midterm rental, and short-term rental. And unfortunately, in the world of insurance, most agents and brokers are not correctly relaying what type of rental it is to an insurance carrier. And unfortunately, many insurance carriers out there, especially in the United States, want nothing to do with short-term rentals, right? So you're now relying on an agent whom you've in one way or another, told them it's a rental and they present that information to a carrier and a carrier sends back a quote. But unfortunately, the underwriting side, they don't really understand what you're doing. So we need to be very clear in what the rental situation is when we're obtaining quotes and going through our insurance package. Now, in the general terms of insurance, rental is going to be a 12-month lease, standard long-term rental. And there's what's called dwelling landlord policies, all over. Everybody sells them. They're easily attainable, relatively the same. They're meant for that long-term rental exposure. Okay, But when you fall into the short-term and mid-term rental category, that is publicly advertised online 365 days a year, whether your occupancy is 10% or 90%, that falls into a totally separate category of rental is actually defined in the U.S. insurance market as a business. Mm-hmm. And so your standard rental insurance policies are going to have business activity exclusions because long-term rental doesn't fall into that category. And that is where you can run into some pen, uh, potential claim denials as a property owner for not having the right insurance package. Even though you told them you're renting, we maybe weren't very clear on, no, this is on Airbnb, this is on VRBO, I'm using XYZ Property Manager and it's advertised on their website for them to obtain and get you the right insurance package. Yeah, that is interesting. We, we, we simply told our owners that they should go to their brokers and tell them exactly, exactly what they were doing, that it was short term, they were using a property manager, provide them with all our details. And then if we were in any doubt when we saw, and we always wanted to see not just their certificate of insurance, but the part that showed that they they had sufficient coverage for the short-term rental business activity. And we wanted to see that. We filed that every year internally. We had those um, all those documents filed. So we knew that our owners had sufficient coverage for that specific area of, sh- of short-term rental. And of course, coming with that, you know, when they got that coverage, they would have business interruption in there. So that if, mm-hmm. you know, something happened to something catastrophic happened that stopped their business running, they would be able to make a claim for that loss of business. So that's what we were looking for as managers from our yeah, homeowners. That, and that brings another point of confusion with a lot of homeowners out there and, and agents alike, loss of rents versus loss of income, Right. So when we're looking at short-term and mid-term markets from an insurance standpoint, it's not rental income, it's it's business income now, mm-hmm. right? And so when you look at these landlord insurance policies that a, a majority of the U.S. market is carrying, they only have what's called loss of rent coverage, which is a, a limited scope. It pays a fair market value for rentals in that zip code, which is not the same as your business income that you're generating on the property. For example, Heather, you and I could have uh, townhouses in Vail, Colorado, right next to each other. And you happen to stay at that townhouse a lot more. And so you're not generating as much income as I am, who's renting it out much more frequently. 
Now, if there was a fire to the building association and both of our townhomes are gone, I don't want to get paid the fair rental value, which is the average between you and I. Mm -hmm. I want to get paid what I'm out and what I'm insuring for. So that's the other kind of line we need to you know, make sure we're talking to agents about is when they go, well, this is your rent. You go, no, no, no it's not rent. It's income. This is income. Mm-hmm. And I need to be insured for my income, not fair market value rental. That's interesting. And, and, as, and again, we would look for business interruption, having that word business mm-hmm. in there. So what else would you like to cover when you're talking about that homeowner pillar? Yeah. So on the on the homeowner pillar, you obviously want to make sure that there's first and foremost, it's either enhanced to or specifically designed for short-term rentals. And so short-term rentals is really going to mean six months or less. You're not doing the traditional leasing and you're the one furnishing the property, right? It's not the tenant's belongings that they're moving in. So you want to make sure that it's adequately enhanced for that. And then you also want to make sure that not only business income, but that you're getting your property coverage limits at replacement cost, not actual cash value. And that's for your personal belongings or business personal property. It's another term inside that if there's roof damage or getting a new roof, it's not actual cash value. These are all things that you can enhance your policies for. And it does increase your premium in any insurance market or any provider to do that. What we're doing is we're strengthening our risk management here. We're transferring more risk onto the carrier that we're electing to do business with so that we're out of pocket less money if something happens, right? Now, everybody's different. Some people have deep pockets and they're fine with the lesser coverage. That's great. But the general populace, let's increase our risk management a little bit, pay a little bit more more money to better protect ourselves. From a liability standpoint, which we can discuss the different liability types and what they mean, but... From a liability standpoint, no less than a million dollars on the base insurance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's not your base insurance plus an umbrella. That is the base product standalone by itself at a million dollars to begin with. That is the new norm. That is, and is with your experience on your claim, people sue for a million bucks. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a million dollars in coverage in case something goes the wrong way and you're found liable, and now it's a million dollar settlement. So. Those are kind of the key starting components of what to look for in pillar number two on your home coverage. Okay. You mentioned umbrella. Can you just explain what umbrella means? So umbrellas are commonly sold in the personal lines realm. So you have personal landlord commercial and personal and landlord size area, if you will, you get umbrellas. And the reason for that is those base insurance policies have low limits of insurance. And then you have car insurance and you have X and Y and Z that you need to put in or quote unquote bundle into your insurance package. And those also come with low liability limits. So you get an umbrella to kick you up to or above that million dollar limit, right? And those are very inexpensive. One common confusion with umbrellas is umbrellas follow whatever the base coverage says. Okay. So if my base policy has an exclusion for, say, dogs or animal bites not owned by Mm -hmm. me, the insured. And that base insurance excludes the claim for a dog bite at my property. Your umbrella does not also respond because it follows the terms of that base insurance. Now, in the commercial side of things, it's generally referred to as excess. It's a little bit different, but for points of this conversation, it's relatively the same. If I carry a commercial style policy on my short-term rental, I cannot additionally protect it with a personal umbrella mm-hmm. because they're different insurance forms and they don't work together, right? Same goes, I cannot put a commercial umbrella over the top of my personal automobile, okay? They're not the same thing. So it's always personal to personal and commercial to commercial. And you know, for the most part, if you have the right liability coverage on the base and you have a policy that's custom tailored for short-term rental exposure, the true need for an umbrella or excess policy is more or less nil at that point. Go buy as much liability insurance as you can afford, uh-huh. but it doesn't mean that everybody out there needs to carry a $10 million umbrella while participating in this market. Okay. Okay. We've, we've been talking about liability and uh, for, for the homeowners. What about if they're offering things like, you know, the additional things like watercraft, bicycles, 
if they've got a hot tub that's that, and a, or a pool, of course. How does that all fit in? Yeah, so back to we're having this conversation with our insurance agent and we're trying to make sure we're getting quotes that are adequate for our property, that we need to be upfront with this in these conversations. I am offering a kayak or two or three because I'm waterfront or lakefront or beachfront, whatever it might be. I have a hot tub. I have a sauna. I, I have gym equipment. I have, uh, I'm pet friendly. Uh, I have bicycles, all of these things, right? You want to be very upfront with what you're doing. And the reason why is a lot of the personal realm insurances, the, the homeowners and the landlord policies are not going to cover these types of amenities. So now you put yourself into, okay, I need to go get commercial style insurance because it's much more comprehensive and robust. But then we need to be very careful about what they may or may not be excluding. Are they going to cover these amenity types? And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, when we're reviewing other insurance policies through our consultation process with a new client, we see things like recreational activity exclusions. We see small watercraft exclusions. We see heavy limitations around what you're required to have for a swimming pool or a spa. And that can leave you heavily exposed if you don't fully understand what those limitations are or what needs to be in place. So if you have a recreational activity exclusion and you're offering kayaks, you could very well be on the hook to pay for defense yourself mm. on that if somebody has a claim. So when we talk risk management about amenities, I always kind of lean on the safety side. Specific to our product, we underwrite very heavily which can be a frustration point to some clients. I'll, I'll side with, with you all on that. But at the end of the day, it's providing defensibility. So there's a reason why these companies have these exclusions or may or may not allow these types of amenities. It's simply put, they don't want to spend the money for attorneys to defend you. Mm -hmm. So if you have those limitations, remove the unnecessary risks and you can't offer those amenities. Or you find a company that is going to allow you to provide those amenities with some certain stipulations that increase the factor of defensibility to help prove you not negligent should an injury arise. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because I don't think the majority of owners, when they go into this business, they really think about that. They think, you know, particularly in this world of unreasonable hospitality and offering absolutely everything, that they just add in what is to them the bells and whistles, the extra things yeah. that their neighbours don't have without really thinking of the ramifications of doing that and maybe not sharing that with their insurance agent. Yeah, it was told to us by an attorney client of ours that, you know, everybody thinks, oh, I have an LLC and I have waivers of liability and I have this big, robust rental contract and this will never happen to me. But they said it extremely well. They said, at the end of the day, you, you can have the biggest, most robust rental agreement in the world. But if if a personal injury attorney can find a way to prove you negligent, that matters. It doesn't matter how many layers of protection that you have. And it's ultimately going to fall on the insurance policy, should there be coverage or, or your own bank account, right? And so that's where things like very simple safety things come in. Like you need to have functioning smoke detectors. You need to have carbon monoxide. If you're offering kayaks, you should have life jackets. If you have bicycles, you should offer have helmets. You are presenting a way that you are responsible, and should that person decide not to wear a helmet when they ride your off or bike and they get injured, you have a level of defensibility that you are not negligent towards their injury. And so, again, you can't waive negligence. The other side of this is these might be familiar residential homes to you, the owner, or you, the manager, because you spend so much time you know, at these properties. They're not to... Joe and Jane Doe and their family who are coming on vacation for the first time to wherever they're traveling, they have no idea about the property and it's your responsibility to make it safe and inviting, right? But also point out potential risks around the property. Uh -huh. uh, just next time you stay at a hotel, just look around. And I know we're not trying to be the hotel. That's what's great about short-term rentals is that every property is inherently unique of one, one, one another, but there's a reason hotels put up a slippery when wet sign. Uh -huh. There's a reason they have exit signs. There's a reason why there's fire extinguishers on every floor. It's to defend themselves against potential negligence. We used to uh, to tell our, because all our properties had docks, and those docks went out into the water. 
And mm-hmm. we suggested, and not all our owners would take us up on this, but we suggested stenciling to the end of the dock, no diving or jumping. Putting on a post, putting in their guest guide, however deep the water was, because you never knew what was under the water. Absolutely. It's one thing like specific to our program we require. It doesn't matter if you have a, a, a babbling brook that's only a couple of feet deep during runoff, or if you are lakefront and you know off your dock is 20 feet deep maybe, we require that you put in a swim at your own risk sign uh-huh. and your property maintains rescue equipment like a nautical throw buoy or a river throw rope, because that is going to help one, self-rescue if something happens and hopefully prevent some serious injury like a drowning happening. But also, again, it provides a level of defensibility back to the carrier as allowing you to offer these amenities. But should something happen, we have some ammo in the defense to mm-hmm. hopefully limit or completely absolve you of any case. Yeah. Yeah, that that is great. And, you know, I, I hope that people with waterfront properties really listen to this, that just having that buoy on a tree by the dock and throw ropes is so necessary. However, I want to move over to property yeah. managers now. And this, um, yeah. you know, that's where we were. I want you to explain errors and omissions because, you know, people used to say to me, have you got E&O? And it's like, mm, I think so, but I have no clue what this actually means. <laughs> yeah, so your standard business type policies, um, property management is a little bit of a different animal. Uh, property management for short-term rentals is a little bit of a different animal as well when you get into the complexities of it. At the end of the day, for one, shameless plug, we do have a company that does this in our network that's specific to property managers and um, can really help break this down for you. But you basically, you get general liability, all right? You may or may not have an office or you may or may not go and do on-site visits. You should have general liability because if you're with a customer and there's an injury involved, you could be sued and so you need that general liability. And there's a lot of other stuff in the package as well that you might want to get. But Errors and omissions, otherwise known as professional liability, is to protect you against how you conduct and do business. Okay, So basically, it's going to protect the manager specifically. If you're an individual property owner, you're hosting your own home, you do not need anything categorized in this pillar number one. You can ignore pillar number one. But what this is really going to do is it's going to protect the property manager against actual or alleged mistakes causing financial harm to your client, okay? And so it's really important that as a property manager, you go ahead and get that as part of your package. It could be the way you promised some type of level of maintenance that didn't happen, that resulted in lawsuits to the property owner. You could get a countersuit from your property owner on that. Uh, And it could come in a wide variety of other ways as well. And I think most commonly, uh, what folks think of when they think E&O insurance is like a doctor or a surgeon or a legal practitioner has errors and omissions because doctor left a, a medical implement in somebody's body. I think we've all seen that stuff before on the news or TV shows and stuff. And then they get sued and that's errors and omissions insurance, but it does relate directly to management as well. And if you are alleged to have done something wrong within your practice of managing that property, or advising your client that results in financial harm, you could be held liable and you need to make sure you have coverage for it through professional liability E&O insurance. It always strikes me when I see baby friendly or child friendly um, list, you know, in listings and thinking, oh, they really are opening themselves up for, for trouble. Am I right? (laughs) You are. So it actually has become pretty big point of contention through our underwriting with clients. And so this question comes at a great time, Heather. I'm glad, actually glad you asked it because I wrote it down to bring it up. But so baby equipment, did you know, I'm going to ask you this question. It's anecdotal, but did you know that baby equipment is the number one recalled thing in the world? I did because I speak to Justin Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, yes, but yeah, no, so just just the recalls. I mean, I because of Justin, I subscribe to the the recall websites, and mm-hmm. and when we were in business, we would look at the Canadian recall website really regularly to see if there was something. Yeah. And I remember once, you know, off that's off the topic of um, of baby equipment, but it was it was a particular type of dock steps, 
that uh, were the, that were being sold by Amazon. And I know that we had properties. We knew that we had properties that had these dock steps. And I was able to, to yeah. go to these owners and say, there's a recall on these. But but yes. So, so in answer to your question, I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. So it it is and and it's it's kind of it's nerve-wracking and so the way the way we specifically look at it from an insurance firm because again there's some level of defensibility or level of indefensibility if you will if you are charging extra for the use of baby equipment at your property you can get yourself in a whole heap of potential legal trouble because of that because one you're not a licensed or insured baby equipment rental facility, and you are not keeping track of these recalls that come out literally on a daily basis for baby equipment, Mm -hmm. okay? Now with us specifically, we know that there are kid-friendly properties and that you're going to have potentially a high chair, a pack and play, and maybe some different types of baby equipment, especially if you're using the property yourself and you have little ones. So as long as you're not charging for it, there is a particular level of potential defensibility of, well, we're not charging for it. It's just they're they're the ones who opted to use it. The best advice, and this is my, you know, underwriting hat, you know, kind of being a very lame risk manager, if you will, don't offer baby equipment. Most people are going to travel with their preferred baby equipment or partner with a company like Baby Quip, who delivers, allows people to rent this stuff. They have their own insurance and liability coverage that if a product is in service that was recalled, it falls on them, not on you. And the guests are the ones renting this from them and getting it delivered to your location, okay? So that is the ultimate way to absolve potential liability around baby equipment. If you are gonna offer baby equipment, do not, under any circumstance, charge additional rate for the use of baby equipment. Just don't do it. That is tremendous advice. And you you see that, you know, when people are talking about upselling, you often see that baby equipment is is included in those upselling ideas. Yeah, you are not a bike rental shop. You are not a kayak rental shop. You are not a baby rental shop. You're not a gym equipment rental shop. I truly believe in maximizing revenue at your property as much as you possibly can, but you need to consider these certain things. Simply increase your nightly rate because you have multiple amenity offerings. Do not charge separately for it. Yeah, great point. I want to talk about record keeping because when we went through our claim, we had pretty meticulous records. You know, we, we kept you know, maintenance records and we encouraged our owners. And it, we were in a, a, a not the typical situation because we weren't in control of our properties because they were so widely dispersed. So we would mm-hmm. recommend that our, if our owners had a hot tub, that they would have a maintenance log. So that maintenance mm-hmm. log said, you know, what chemicals were introduced to that hot tub on what particular date, when was the water changed, and and all this information that was checked and signed. So we had the record of when, when these things were done. And it's a bit like, you know, if you've got your fire extinguisher and you keep a record of of when it was last replaced. I mean, that's that's usually written onto the side of the fire extinguisher. People forget they put their fire extinguisher in and, and that's it. It's there for the next 20 yeah. years. So how important is that type of maintenance log and record keeping? It's important, but not as important as a lot of people make it out to seem, okay. right? So you don't need to go through and take individual pictures of every last piece of silverware in your property and every single plate and wine glass like that's that's kind of overkill. Um, a general count of perhaps how many place settings you have is always good, uh, especially if you have substantial damage. Um, worst case scenario, say total fire loss of your property. Like my claims team would like to know how many place settings and what type they are. You know, do you have the IKEA plates or do you have Fiesta Wear? Do you mm-hmm. have some higher end thing that we need to uh, know about through the adjustment process? In terms of maintenance records, that is where I would advise that you keep a well-recorded list of what you are doing, okay? That can be anything from the changing of batteries or replacement of smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors, your regular maintenance schedule on pool cleanings, on hot tub servicing, just your general cleaning schedule as well. There's tons of apps and services out there that you can sign up for. 
I know a lot of us who are in the industry are probably familiar with like the breezeways and the turnos of the world. And those help you document and record those types of things that are going on. If you replace, when you replace the filters in your ventilation for your HVAC system, that stuff that you should record. If you had your gutters cleaned, if you had windows replaced, all of that type of stuff. And then in those maintenance records, I would highly encourage everybody to, you know, potentially, you know, have like an Excel spreadsheet of who the company was who did the service as well. Because if there is a substantial claim or potential loss of life due to improper cleaning of a hot tub, uh, uh-huh. unfortunately, hot tubs are known for hot tub folliculitis, which is a blood infection, uh, which could result in, in, unfortunately, the death of somebody. The insurance company is going to want to know who cleaned that uh-huh. hot tub and who is in charge of the regular maintenance. And that should be done by a hot tub professional not your regular cleaning person. You should have that done at least monthly if you're a property with a hot tub uh, to to help protect yourself if something comes up. So maintenance records, way more important than taking pictures of every single little thing inside your house to track. Although if you want to do that, do it. It'll help us out in the claims process <laughs> in the long run, but it's not as necessary as the maintenance record keeping. Okay, that's excellent. Um, and I think... People should you know should t- pay attention to that, particularly the things like you know pool maintenance, hot tub maintenance, mm-hmm. maintenance on on anything really that that your guest is is going to use or, or partake of. Um, Canoes and and life jackets too. I mean, life jackets life jackets have a life. Mm-hmm. They need to be replaced. Helmets have a life. I'm a, I'm an avid backcountry snowmobiler and you know snowmobile helmets have a have an expectancy of five years after five years you need to hang that helmet up and go buy a new one and so those are things you need to be tracking as well is when you've replaced those and and uh put the put the new ones in right yeah is there anything else we haven't covered so far on on what property managers need to be aware of is there is there anything that you find that they miss in terms of how they cover themselves so there's a misconception out there that property manager insurance is going to cover you for everything at all the properties that you manage. Unfortunately, most manager insurance around the general liability side of the product does not extend liability to the properties under management. And that is why it is super, super important that you are collecting certificates of insurance from your homeowners, showing you your entity as additional insured, okay? And so I tell every property manager that we work with and every new property manager that wants to know about, you know, how we can help them through this, it's number one, make sure you require a million dollars in liability to your homeowners that you are named as additional insured and do not put that property online until you have a copy of that certificate, okay? Because your property manager insurance more than likely will not respond to generic accidents that might happen at the property because a lot of that does fall on the responsibility of the property owner. Now, you will be named in a lawsuit. You had that happen. Everybody was named in the lawsuit. In some cases, depending on where you're at around the world and how the insurance rules work and how those contracts are written, you may or may not be covered on your manager contract. But If you take anything away from this conversation as a property manager, a million dollars in liability, additional insured, file that certificate away before that property goes online. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. Let's talk about damage waiver products. What exactly are they and who should be using them? So damage waiver products are for everybody. We are moving away from a world of security deposits. (laughs) My generation... Specifically, I feel strongly in the sense that I'm not real fond of some entity that I don't really know holding $1,500 or $2,000 on my credit card and potentially pointing the finger at me for some minor things that I more than likely did not cause at the property. So damage waivers continue to become very popular. They're very super inexpensive to me, the traveler, depending on what you want to charge for them, depending on what product you're using, they could cost as little as uh, $30 or $40 to me as a non-refundable fee. Um, and then I don't really have to worry about my kids wrecking something and then you coming after me, right? The best way to think about damage waivers is a deductible saver. So in pillar two, your home insurance, you always have a deductible. 
And most commonly with my clients, we see that deductible floating around $2,500, okay? So first out of pocket is 2,500 bucks. So me as a property owner, if my linens are damaged, they broke a lamp, they broke a TV, they put charcoal in my gas grill and wrecked it, they caused some level of damage to my property in that sense, they've smoked in my house and put cigarette holes in my couch, whatever, that first $2,500 has to come from somewhere and it's going to be my pocket as a property owner. So you can look at those damage waiver products as saving you out-of-pocket deductible, right? Now, some of these damage waiver products do come with liability extensions as well, and they'll cover, they use a commercial liability and they cover up to a million dollars, but because they're inherently inexpensive, there is a lot of exclusions, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it could be exclusions around dog bites. It could be the recreational activities like we talked about. It's maybe not covering communicable diseases through spa equipment, things like that. Um, so you got to keep that in mind, right? Now, they work very well with your home product. So let's use proper insurance and our damage waiver company, Wavo, as an example here. Okay, So you come to proper and you get a $2,500 deductible and somebody happens to throw a party. And now that damage to your house, including lost business income, is, say, $50,000, right? Now, proper, with our product specifically, we're going to respond to that, but it's going to be $50,000 less $2,500, mm -hmm. okay? But if you have a damage waiver product, and that is damage caused by a guest, then you also can apply against a claim for that damage waiver product to be the first responder as well, Right. And so, and that's usually paid for entirely by the guest. You don't have to pay that yourself. And so they're great products that work well in that. And keep in mind, a damage waiver product does not cover anything outside of the rental period and generally things not caused directly by a guest. Uh -huh. Okay. So right now in the U.S., it's been very cold. We had negative 68 last week here in Bozeman, Montana, where I'm at. We're built for it. Texas got down into the single digits. A lot of the Midwest and and the South got down in its single digits, and we have a lot of frozen water pipe claims going on right now. Damage waivers are not going to respond to that. So you got to keep that in mind, too. They're, they're only for during the booking period and really only for damage caused by a guest. But they work extremely well because we've all dealt with the damaged linens. We've all dealt with the broken TV, the broken lamp, the cracked chair, that type of stuff. And that's really what they're meant for and very similar to, like, air cover. That's what air cover is meant for. It's not to cover, I had this big event and a tree fell in my house and now I'm shut down for eight months. That is uh -huh. not what damage waiver product is going to do. Yes, I, I know for, you know, for, for the years that we had a damage waiver and we stopped taking, you know, we used, we used to collect the checks. I mean, this is going back 15, 20 years ago. We used to collect the, the, mm -hmm. the security deposit checks and then send them back after the rental. And then it went to, we'll collect your credit card number and there's some real issues around holding credit card numbers as well that most companies I don't think uh, understand. But, uh, but yes, moving on to damage waiver was, was just a huge yeah. lifting of, of stresses for us. Well, and from a, from a property management standpoint, all of these damage waiver companies can integrate directly into your, into your website. And it's very, very much ease of use. You also eliminate potential risk from cybersecurity stuff by holding those credit cards or potential financial fraud, mm -hmm. which is great. You also eliminate a huge risk that's actually coming down the pipeline in the United States. We're starting to see it in states like Washington. Airbnb is familiar. You can look up the lawsuit with the insurance commissioner there around air cover with marketing as an insurance product that's not an insurance product and paying taxes. It's going to make ripples across the U.S., but... A lot of property managers are self-funding damage waivers now. They are simply throwing a fee up of call it 50 bucks and pocketing the fee. And it's not a regulated insurance product yet. I would strongly encourage if you're doing that to get away, partner with the damage waiver company. There's a, there's a handful of them out there and, and find a partner that you like and trust. Forgo making $50 a booking and now it's $30 a booking. But when the legalities start coming down the pipeline, you are not dealing with that uh -huh. potential insurance fraud conversation. I know that's a scary term, but that's what it can end up being. So it's time to move to damage waivers as a property manager. 
as an individual host, you can also move to damage waivers. A lot of these damage waiver companies are going to allow you to sign up to them as a single property owner. You don't have to be an enterprise client with multiple properties and forego that security deposit stuff, forego the bad review, forego the guest communication for these smaller damages and really streamline your business around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea. We did it all ourselves for, for many years. And yes, it, it built up quite a nice little pot of money. I mean, this was before there were damage waiver products out there on the market. And uh, yes, I, I think going back, I would probably look at, at those instead of managing yourself because the, there's some inherent issues in there that I don't think we ever considered. Hey, Nick, we are, yeah. we are getting really close to our time and we haven't even, we haven't even touched on travel insurance yet. So maybe, you know, mm -hmm. that, that could, there's just so much here and, you know, so interesting. And I hope everybody has stayed to this point. <laughs> yeah. Travel insurance in 30 seconds, I guess. So travel insurance, we all have cancellation periods, right? And so, uh, most of the OTAs are going to, they're already partnered with a travel insurance provider. But if you're doing direct bookings, there's so many out there. There's uh, Generali Global Assistance, there's Fay Travel, you have UIG Travel, or excuse me, AIG Travel, uh, Red Sky Travel um, is a great product as well. There's so many out there that you can implement into your own website. And it's not something that you can force your guests to pay for, but if you have a 30 day cancellation rule on, in your contract, and I come into, I'm 15 days from travel and uh, my spouse has just come down terribly ill with something, and I can't make my trip from Montana down to the Keys in Florida, I should buy travel insurance because that is going to help refund me what I paid to you for my stay. Let's say it was a $3,000 booking. It's going to pay for, and a lot of times, additional experiences that I may have paid for that have cancellation periods, and uh, it's going to prevent you from wanting or having to send back that money to me and try and fill a booking very quickly, right? Additionally, because it does that, we get phone calls at Proper all the time where it's like, well, this person canceled because it's smoky in California from forest fires. How do I claim loss of revenue? Well, there was no claimable event. There was no damage to your property that resulted in loss of revenue. So there is no payout from tier two, pillar two on the home insurance. So that's why it's important to look at implementing a travel insurance strategy into your risk management uh, around your property. Yeah, that, that was great. Thank you. Thank you for that, to <laughs> do that so quickly. I, I know from being a property manager, one of the most difficult things you have to deal with is when somebody calls for four days before their vacation to say that there's, um, you know, somebody's fallen ill in their group, they can't come. Please, 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 can we have our money back? And, yeah. you know, if, if you have a product that you sell at the point of booking and make it very, very clear what will happen if you don't buy that product, then it doesn't make the conversation any easier if they didn't. But at least you've mm -hmm. got it to go back to and say, look, we did show you this product and you, you chose not to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to have in there. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. And, and it it can ease the conversation a little bit because it does put the onus on the guest yep. um, for that. And um, they're, they're inexpensive. They're, you know, they could be 40, 50, $60 per booking uh, for the guest to purchase. And um, it's just a good thing to have in your strategy. Nick, thank you so much for your time with me today. All the information on proper insurance is going to be on the show notes. Proper is sponsoring the Stir Crazy Month, and you will see a lot more about Proper on our virtual vendor showcase as well. So anything else you'd like to add before we, we part company, Nick? Yeah, so I would add that when we're operating in the short-term rental space, regardless if you're a manager or an individual homeowner, you need to take a stronger focus on your risk management, and you need to partner with a company that is not just get a quote, pay a premium and move on with no you know, additional interaction. You wanna research and work with companies who are intimately familiar with what you're doing and are more in here as a partnership from a risk management standpoint, not just selling you an insurance product at, with a premium. And that's something that we pride ourselves on. We are gonna guide you through not just setting up insurance, but also ways to better protect yourself 
from a high-level safety view um, at your property, when and where to put in handrails, your smoke detectors, rental agreements, waivers, things like that, to be your partner in risk management on this business. So regardless of who you move forward with or who you use currently, have deeper conversations and be unapologetically open with your insurance agent and or carrier about what you're doing at your property to make sure you are in fact protected. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll be talking again at some point in the future because uh, I, I'm sure I will have many more questions. But for the moment, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Nick Massey from Proper Insurance. My goodness, that was information packed and I hope you got a lot out of it. There is a lot of information now on our website about Stir Crazy Month and about all the topics we're, we're going to be covering. So go to the Virtual Vendor Showcase and check out the proper insurance feature. You know, as we go through this Stir Crazy Month and talk about all these elements, these pillars of our business, I'm ever more mindful of how important they are. You know, we've had the week on safety, we've had a week on trust, and now we've been focusing on insurance so much this week that, you know, I've been talking to people who have been saying, I hadn't really given as much attention to all this as I should. And I'm loving that. I'm loving that we are hearing from people who are taking all of this on board and using all the information to make changes to their business practices. I mean, that's what it is all about. And, you know, thank you to all the people in our industry who are contributing to this month. We've had some amazing support and I want to thank everybody. So next week we are moving on to regulations. This is a topic dear to my heart because we are experiencing a lot of restriction and regulations and upcoming legislation in Canada. One of the reasons that Catherine Ratcliffe is organising the Can Stays Rental Alliance Conference. There will be details of that on the show notes. And I really encourage you, you know, even if you're not in Canada, to go and take a look and see what's going on in this conference, because it's going to be an event like there has never been in this industry. It's an event that brings together legislators and decision makers with the people that they're legislating, the the property managers and the property owners who are bearing the impact of the legislation that is currently coming down. So I would love it if you would go to the Canstays Rental Alliance website, take a look at see what they're doing. As I say, even if you're not in Canada, if you're not part of this, it would be a worthwhile event to attend because many of the uh, presentations and learning components are just as useful to anybody else in this industry as they are to Canadian operators. Okay, that's it for week three of Stir Crazy Month. And just two more to go. That's regulations and sustainability. So you can go to the Vacation Rental Formula Business School website and register for the panels, the upcoming panels. And also when you register, it means that you will get the information that we are compiling at the end of every week. So you get everything if you are registered for one of the panels. So it's not just registering for a panel, it's registering for the entire month's worth of information that we can send you if you've missed anything. Thank you once again for listening in. I hope you found this really useful. I look forward to bringing you more super information and conversation next time. That was some amazing information, and we hope you'll take the chance to implement some of these ideas in your short-term rental business in 2024. Don't forget to connect and give our thanks to our platinum sponsor for Stir Crazy Month, Proper Insurance. Click the link in the description of this episode to connect with the team at Proper for a no-obligation chat. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you, and I look forward to being with you again next week.